Today's episode is brought to you by Canvas. Do you know how long it takes you to measure and model an as-built? Probably more time than you'd like. Canvas replaces hours of manual measuring with a few minutes of scanning with your iPhone or iPad. And Canvas eliminates the hours, if not days, of taking your measurements and turning them into a 3D as-built or 2D floor plan, all for pennies per square foot. You can try Canvas for free and download it at www.canvas.io and make sure to use promo code BF23. That's www.canvas.io and promo code BF23. All right, now back to the show. Hey, I'm Spencer Powell, and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey, and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Tom Cumming, who is the owner and founder of Severn Woods Fine Homes. Tom is a professional engineer turned builder, a graduate of Queens University in mechanical engineering in the mid-2000s. He decided to combine his appreciation of great architecture and passion for craftsmanship with his background in engineering to start Severn Woods Fine Homes. He's also a member of the Building Industry and Land Development Association and has been since 2008 and the Professional Engineers of Ontario since 1987. Tom is a frequent speaker and valued contributor at real estate and renovation events. Now for my conversation with Tom of Severn Woods. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Spencer, thanks very much. I appreciate you having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, and for everyone listening, just give them some context. You know, what's the company? Where are you guys located? What kinds of projects are you doing? That sort of thing. Sure. My name is Tom Cumming. My company is called Severn Woods Fine Homes. We're located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And unlike many companies, we work downtown, specifically downtown in a very large, very busy city. And most people do their darndest to get out in the suburbs and get out into rural areas where they've got bigger lots and and things like that. And we we build infill homes, we tear down existing homes, build homes for clients on sometimes very small lots. You know, a custom home on a 25 by 120 foot lot is a pretty interesting thing to try to build. And you're yeah. two, feet away, two feet away from the property in the neighboring house. Just give you a little bit of background. I started Severn Woods in 2004. So this month is our 19th anniversary. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Pretty pretty excited about that. We've had some hiccups along the way, but for the most part, we've had consistent growth and more importantly, continual improvement, trying to become a better company, service our clients better, treat our staff better, produce a better product. And, and, and that's been going pretty well. There's a number of milestones and things that happened over the course of our being in business that have changed that and helped us. And of course, there have been some hindrances as well. 
I'll share with you why, why and how I got into this business. I, I'm a couple of years older than you, Spencer. I owned a business, a, a, a fiber optic cabling business back in the 90s, and I sold hmm. that in 1995. And I, I love being in business. I love that business, but I was looking for a change. I had the opportunity and I was offered a job with Midland Wallen, which is a large securities house brokerage here in, in Canada. It's gone. It's been, it's been bought many years ago by somebody else. They offered me a position as an equity derivatives trader in 1995. So I go from owning a contracting business to being an equity derivatives trader on Bay Street, which is Canada's equivalent of Wall Street. I did that for about seven or eight years. And it was interesting. I learned a lot, you know, risking millions of dollars every day on trades. You'd make a million one day, lose two million the next. Funnily enough, every time you lose two million, you end up working at a different company because you get fired which happened on a few occasions. I got married in 2003 and to Jennifer, my, my wife, who we've now will be married 20 years this year. And she recognized how unhappy I was. And, and mm. she said, Tom, you've just finished building, designing and building our cottage, your cottage. You're really good at it. Why don't you quit Bay Street and hang at a shingle and renovate houses for people? And I thought about that for a couple of minutes. And four months later, that's exactly what I was doing. So that was in the fall of, of 03. And in January of four, we started this little thing up with, with just me. By June of that year, so six months later, I had six employees and we were doing three or four renovation addition projects at, at a time. And it kind of grew from there. So it was, it's really been an interesting journey. Yeah, I'm curious. That's pretty unusual to, to get going that quickly, I feel like. So I'm curious how you picked up your first handful of projects. Friends and family, you know, I got to be honest, it's almost like raising money for your first first venture, right? You go out for your seed round to your friends and family and get Uncle Buck to give you some money and your grandmother. And I was introduced to a couple of friends of mine and some friends of my wife spread the word that that I was renovating houses. I was new, but I'm a good guy and 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 give them a shot. So a lot of the a couple of the early projects literally were that introductions from friends to to their friends. We'd start the first project, another project would come in. Those people very quickly, I was on the, on the job site a lot back in those days and, and, mm -hmm. and my personality sort of shone through. We'd be introduced to somebody else. It was funny back in those days, we didn't really know how to price projects. So we were always pricing them low. So we always got them. <laughs> but my model had always been cost plus. Mm. So we put a budget together that was too low unknowingly. It would cost a lot more to build the project. No one was ever angry about that. And we always got paid. But I remember one particular year, and I think it was 2008. So we've been in business about four years, still doing things kind of by the seat of our pants. And we priced eight projects and we did eight projects for a total of about three and a half million dollars. And that's very different today because, you know, the world is a different place and we've uh, Working with with your company with Builder Funnel, for example, is absolutely necessary to bring in the leads and get us the exposure that puts us in front of a lot more faces. I'd pay anything to price ten projects and do ten projects if they all <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding <laughs> today. And and I just don't think I'm ever going back to that place in in my world. Yeah, no, no, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, it certainly has changed in the consumer has a lot more power today. They have access to more information, more options, all of those types of things. That's cool. So in the like first year or two, you know, transitioning out of, you know, finance and that sort of thing and then getting into construction again, owning your own business, like what do you think is something that surprised you about running that business? I mean, you had had prior business experience. So you weren't 
you know, new to entrepreneurship, say, but what was different about this one? It was the learning process that I had. I'm an engineer. I'm a mechanical engineer by schooling. And, and my first couple of jobs out of university or college were, were in the engineering field. My brain works that. It, 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 was, it was interesting not having any, anybody to fall back on. So, so I very quickly became an expert. I digested all of the information I could get. I could learn and learning about building envelopes, learning about windows and different qualities and different types, learning about HVAC systems and understanding the building codes and how that relates to it. And then taking it a step beyond that is we've always focused on quality and we've always focused on, I'm going to say, quite high-end homes. So there's always been an architect involved in our projects. And sometimes they're unbelievably talented and well-regarded architects. We learn a lot from them. They'll often design details that are just unfathomable how a how difficult they are to execute on a large scale in a, in a large home project but just getting the trades that are able to do to execute those details our own staff our own carpenters being able to execute those details getting our staff and even myself thinking far enough ahead in the project knowing that there's a certain detail that's trying to be affected and yet we have to start at the concrete foundation level for that detail to work on the second floor and and so very, very detail-oriented. And I passed that way of thinking on to my staff. So I'd like to think that, you know, even if somebody new comes on board, we're very thoughtful and we think think ahead, try not to make a, a, a ton of mistakes. We're not building simple homes. Yeah, yeah. We're renovating. And when I talk about building a home, I'm, it might be a, a major renovation addition project, or it might be a custom home. For the most part, those cost about the same per square foot. And they take about the same amount of time and they use the same trades and same same staff. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned pricing was one of the maybe early mistakes. You were pricing stuff too low. First one, two, three years of business, were there any other like kind of major mistakes or things where you're like, if I could have redone that, I actually would would have done that differently? Absolutely. And the number one one for me is getting professional help. So mm-hmm. so business coaching or in, in 2000. 15 approximately, I joined Remodelers Advantage, which you're very familiar with. It's where I met Builder Funnel. That's a roundtable organization that provides coaching and peer-to-peer input between companies in, in non-competing markets. So we would learn, we'd sit around a table with eight companies two or three times a year, and we'd dig in really our companies, our finances, what we're doing for marketing, how are we training what are our standard operating procedures? What do our contracts look like? All of this stuff. Had I done that in year two, my business would be in a very, very different place now than it is. Mm-hmm. I started that in 2015, a little bit of the old dog, new tricks sy- syndrome, but it's been extremely helpful to me. So we now do things completely differently than we did six or seven years ago. Um, we've implemented a ton of systems. We'll, we have a, a project management system that we use and live by. Everything is running quite smoothly. We've got professional marketing company, you guys working on our behalf. We strategize every month on what we can do better and change. We didn't do any of that. It was always just like any Joe contractor. We said our all of our projects come from word of mouth or from, from introductions from architects, which is really word of mouth. And lived by that because we were busy the whole time, but I hadn't really thought about what happens when word of mouth stops. Hmm. And we did have a, a couple of years where we had holes in our in our schedules where we had to lay people off or or help them find something else to do or or pay them to do a renovation on my own home, for example, which uh, which did not do wonders for for my personal finances. 
No, that's great advice. Yeah. That just the peer groups, the outside coaching, the outside eyes, like it's amazing. It can just fast forward your progress, you know, so, so much. So it's, it's a very difficult, it, it was funny for me. It was, you know, I understood my finances. I, I reviewed my balance, my, my balance sheet and my income statement regularly, um, knew exactly where we stood at all times, knew if we were profitable on projects because we're not a fixed price contractor we know what we're making every every month on every project. So it's a little bit easier. We don't have slippage. We get paid for our slippage, which is unusual in the contracting world. It's worked for me. It's some people would say it's a cop-out. You know, if you can build for fixed price, you can charge higher margins without anybody knowing it. And my view has always been, let's keep an open book. Yes, we can't charge the kind of margins that we could if we buried them. However, we're being open and honest and fair with our clients. If we can build the house or build the project for less money. They save money. That's a win-win. They talk about that around their next dinner party. And then we're back to word of mouth references, which are frankly always the best when we get them. There's no question about that. Yeah. Tough, yeah. Tough and, to beat a referral. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the advice, you know, the advice that I would give a young company starting up that doesn't have direction, doesn't know what they're doing and, and, and don't, you know, really want to become a professional company and make be profitable and regularly profitable to spend the money. It's very hard to sit back and 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 you're you're running along and you're doing a million or two million dollars worth of business and you got a two hundred thousand dollar profit or one hundred and fifty thousand dollar profit, and you say, well, I'm going to spend thirty thousand dollars on marketing next year, and oh no, I want that thirty thousand dollars in my pocket because that's a lot of money. That's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong approach. Spend the thirty thousand dollars because it will double the size of your business, and you will net then be making. $500,000 a year instead of 150. And that's a pretty good return on your $30,000 investment. So I would only suggest that the mistake that I made was, you know, hoarding my cash as opposed to willfully spending it on consultants. Yeah. It's great advice. And it's interesting just thinking about that. Cause yeah, as a business owner, you hit, I feel like these different plateaus or different milestones in your business where yeah, maybe like profitability is pretty strong. Maybe you're making more than you ever have in the past. Like you've, you know, you've gotten to a certain point. And this it's this balance of how much do I want to increase my lifestyle versus how much do I want to invest in the future? And, you know, exactly what you said, you know, like, should I invest the 30 grand in consulting or coaching or marketing or, you know, a sales, you know, person or you know, whatever it is. And so it's a tricky balance, but I I agree with you and that if you if you have a longer term vision like the reinvestment pays dividends faster than you think and sometimes you can't see it in the in the moment that you're in so <laughs> it's it, it's very true the other thing of course is you want good value for that money that you're spending on consultants and doing the right research talking to other companies surfing the 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 internet to find the right marketing company the right coaching company the right whatever it is that, that is going to help your business I made an enormous and expensive mistake back in about 2013, 14, where we decided that we needed to, we needed a professional to come in and help us. And, and it was really with, as it related to project management. So this is before I'd heard of Remodelers Advantage. It was before I'd thought about marketing and it's before I'd heard of project management platforms like co-constructor builder trend. And I hired a consultant, a local guy who was actually a, a personal acquaintance who kind of talked me into hiring him to help develop a project management system for our company. And over the course of a year, I spent $120,000 on him. He bought all sorts of, of tablets and iPads and computers and stuff. And he developed all this stuff. 
And I, I finally, after at the end of the year, I was just livid. Nothing had happened. And, and I, I just, I fired him and I sort of wiped my hands and I said, boy, wasn't that stupid. I'm not ever going to do that again. And then I, that's when I joined Remodelers Advantage. Mm, and gotcha. quickly sitting around a table with eight other companies who are in your boat, who do you use for project management, for a, as a project management system? And, and you can just ask these questions of these seasoned guys. We've all got our shortcomings and we've all got strengths and we've all got weaknesses. But together as a group, there's this group of guys that you're sharing everything about your business with, and you can ask them the questions and you get so much value out of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, so that was probably my dumbest, my dumbest move. Let's just, <laughs> let's just burn $120,000. Yeah. Just burn it. Well, the way I like to frame that is that's the real world MBA, right? Like you, you spent the money making the mistake and then, but it got you to the next move, which is the right move. So that's exactly right. The, the other thing that's, that's really important is just knowing your numbers. You know, the number of companies that I met as I went through my remodeled advantage journey, and a new company would join our group because somebody else had moved on or had left the organization. And nine out of 10 of those companies, even if they'd been in business for 15 or 20 or 25 years, had no idea how to read a balance sheet, had no idea if their financials were accurate. You know, the excuse would be, I came up off the tools. I was a tradesperson. I didn't go to school. I don't have an MBA. That's rubbish. It's very easy to take a quick accounting course, learn how to read your financial statements. And, and look at them every month and make sure that whoever's entering the data, whether it's the owner as a small company or whether it's somebody else, make sure that the information is accurate. You're nowhere without accurate financials. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're doing a half million a year or 50 million a year. Accurate financials because it allows you to just plan your course. Yeah, great advice. Well, I was thinking because you said this month is, is 19 years, which is super cool. I'm sure there's been numerous milestones along the way, but... I find that usually there's like a few big inflection points or like, oh, this was kind of a, a big shift in our business, whether it was a key hire or a new like project management system or any of those coming to mind when you reflect back on, you know, different like evolutions of the business from where, where you started? Not one thing specifically. In fact, some things which I thought were going to be monumental moments for us didn't end up becoming. And I'll give you an example. I break the rule all the time about doing work for friends and family. Most people think I'm nuts, but I've renovated the houses of seven of my neighbors that I can see from my front door. I built a, a very large, very expensive in, in one of the one of the toniest neighborhoods in the city for my brother. And, and everyone would say, you are nuts for doing that. But I'm not. So, so this project we were building for my brother, the architect that he had selected to design his home is a very modern home in a very old neighborhood, about a 10,000 square foot home. So it was quite significant. And it was designed by an architectural firm called KPMB, which is a Toronto-based, internationally renowned architect that doesn't design houses. They, they design schools, they design opera houses, they do all that kind of stuff. But somehow he got them to design a house for him. And so I'm just rubbing my hands together saying, this is awesome. We're building this house. We're going to make decent margin on it. My brother's handed off control of the project to the architect, so I don't have to deal with him. And we're going to have our name on the coolest house in Toronto this year uh, that is being built. We built it in 18 months. It was a spectacular success. They, they, you know, six, seven years later, they, they still live in the house. It didn't lead, it led to recognition. We won some awards for it, but it didn't lead to another single project for many really upscale architects. And I courted them. I took them through the house. I showed them, I explained to them the process, how I was very much personally involved, how we've got a very strong team. 
And I don't know what the heck I did wrong, but I did, that did not turn into any more houses that look like that house. So that was a disappointment. And that was, to this day, our biggest revenue year, not our biggest profit year, but our biggest revenue year, because we we built that home in 18 months. We built another home in 14 months that was sort of half that. And, and, and another home, actually, we did three homes that in that one year, along with a number of renovations. So we were busy, we were hopping, but our revenue took a dive after that because we didn't, we weren't able to follow through. And it, it's probably because we didn't have a formal method of marketing at that time. And our revenues went back kind of down to the way they were. I think we did 7.8 million that year. They dropped all the way down to 4.8 the next year. And they've been hovering in that area since. I'd like to think that my greatest breakout is still to come. I, I really am very excited about the next three years. Very excited about the staff that we that we've built, the team that we have now. Our org chart is is where I want it to be. We've got a lot of traction with the work that you guys are doing for us, and and we've got a very healthy a very healthy funnel at the moment, along with some great great projects that that we're going to be starting as soon as the snow melts here in Toronto in March and April. Yeah, that's cool. And to your point. I tend to be a very like long-term player and future, you know, looking. And so I like your comment of, you know, kind of the the biggest breakout is yet to come. And you never know, maybe that one will circle back and play a role in in another house that, you know, comes up in a year or two or, you know, sometimes yeah, you don't I, know at the time, but then it happens and you're like, oh, that's why it turned out that way. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, there's always the talk today. We, we, we seem to be coming into a bit of a recession. Interest rates are, are high, both in the U.S. or globally, which is unusual. I feel very strongly. There's a great deal of money out there. So as much as kitchen and bath guys, people that want to spend fifty thousand on their house, they may decide not to. House prices in Canada and Toronto in my market have probably dropped fifteen percent in the last ten months, and I think that they're going to drop a little bit more. So when somebody bought a house for two million dollars and it's only worth one point six or one point seven now. They're underwater. They're paying a lot more for the mortgage. They don't have that hundred thousand to spend on a basement renovation or a kitchen or some bathrooms. But people, our clients are doing significantly larger projects. Most of them, whether they're young or old, they're well healed. They seem to have a lot of money wherever on earth they've gotten it from. But they're either adding significant size to their house by putting a big addition on, fully gutting the interior and basically making it a brand new house, or they're building a new custom home. And those are big nuts. That's two to five to two to five or six million dollars. They've got that money put aside. So I don't think that our business is going to be badly affected, at least not in the short term, for with the kind of clientele that we're dealing with and the size of projects that we're dealing with. I hope I'm right. We've had more leads in the last six months than we've ever had. And we've had more leads in the last two months than we had in the last in the six months before that. So that tells me that people are still interested. They're still sniffing. They're still committing to spending significant dollars on their on their homes. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, Really, since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, we've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems and 
I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. It is interesting because I think you hit on, I mean, the high net worth individuals, if somebody's worth 50 million and the stock market drops 20 million and they go down to 40 or whatever, like they've still got assets there where they can make a move like that. Where like, we want to build this custom home and it doesn't matter. You know, they're not getting a loan or, you know, those, those aren't as big of factors. So I tend to agree with you, but again, I'm not the the future predictor. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. See what our, see what our PL looks like at the end of the year and see, yep. our, <laughs> uh, see how yeah. next year pans out. Yeah, I'm I'm, you know, one of the things about being an entrepreneur is and why I enjoyed being back in business for myself as opposed to working for big banks on on Bay Street is just being able to handle the stress associated with things like is there any work coming down the pipe? Some of my employees just quit. The buck stops here. I personally and I think all entrepreneurs and business owners thrive in that environment. And we're not going to sit around and cry the blues because interest rates are, are up and, and house prices, are, we're, we're going to figure it out, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that happens to be. And, you know, American companies who, who suffered through 2008, 2009 know it better than anybody. You know, there's a whole generation of new companies in the marketplace that started after that, and they've only known a bull market. In Canada, we had a 1% drop in house prices or a 0% drop in house prices during 2008, 2009. Our banking system was very robust and we didn't get into the trouble that, that Americans got into. But we've been on a bull market since 1995. Wow. And, and so it's crazy what's happened with house prices and what's happened with, with the cost of construction, et cetera. And we need a cooling off. So we're getting a cooling off right now. Things went crazy in COVID like they did across the U.S. From, as it relates to pricing and people spending money on stuff. And we need a good head shake. Knock the house prices down by 20%. And we can have a little reset and everything will get back to something that's a little more normal and not quite as ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be in a lot of ways, there's refreshing elements of kind of a reset or a, yeah, like, I don't know, pause, whatever you want to call it. But uh, Tom, I got maybe a couple more questions for you to kind of wrap us up. One is, I haven't asked this yet. And I always ask this question, which is like in construction, there's always like crazy projects, wacky client stories, like something kind of off the wall, something super unique, anything coming to mind that you can share. And obviously you can leave out personal details and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, we've, stuff we've, a little had, more generic. <laughs> we've had, we've had lots of them for sure. The, um, the biggest one there is, is clients like wacky, wacky clients. We like to think that we have good filters and we like to think that we, have spidey senses that can determine if something's going to be bad, then you just stay away from it. We undertook a project. We were, we were, it was a custom home in Toronto. It was a, about a $2 million project. And we were introduced by the architect. We signed a contract with the owner. The guy's a little weird, but I think, you know, we can live with it. We're personable people. We're smart people. We've got good documentation. We recommend everything and, and there's a paper trail for everything. And 
we started building the house. We dug the hole. We knocked down the old house. We dug the hole. We built the foundations. So we had the concrete foundations built for the basement. And just as we're about to start framing the house, and the architect hasn't worked out all the details yet, so he's he's still designing in process. He called me up one day and he goes, Tom, I can't work with this client anymore. I'm quitting. He's a belligerent a-hole and I'm out. So there we are with a concrete <laughs> foundation and some half-baked plans for this fairly complex house that needs to be built. And the architect, the guy that he introduced us to the client in the first place, has run away. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, so that was interesting. We ended up playing architect for a good chunk of the rest of the project. We forced the homeowner to hire an interior designer so that at least he could get his interiors designed and no work done and and mm-hmm. you know, select flooring and all that kind of stuff. We took care of the exteriors. We decided on brick color and we decided on the kind of windows we were going to use and the kind of shingles we were going to put on the roof, et cetera. And we sorted out all of the exterior details. That was unusual. Yeah. Uh, another, we got paid and, and it worked out well. We we don't have an ongoing relationship with that client, but from day one, I knew we weren't going to. I'd prefer not to take on a project like that where we can't be great friends with the client at the end of it. And I, I try to be a little more cautious mm-hmm. in my choices. We had one, I'll share one other project with you, which was funnily enough, same architect introduces to a client. And this client was actually a general contractor. And he said in our in early discussions and early negotiations about the project, he said, I'm either going to GC this project myself and stay in Toronto, or I'm going to take this job with this multinational consult multinational consulting company and, and I'm going to be working out of Mexico City. And I said, Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Let me know which it is, because if you're going to GC the project, your own house, you don't need me. But if you move to Mexico, you really need me. So it turns out he moved to Mexico. Okay. <laughs> and, and we started building the house and the, the architect was involved in the structural engineer. The architect stuck around to the end of that project. I guess he was getting paid. And the we never saw the homeowner. He lived in Mexico. We communicated with him once every month or two. He paid his bills every month until he stopped paying his bills. Mm. And we had a deposit from him. We had a 10% deposit for the house. So we had, a, we had a big chunk of his money. And we, I let the project get too far with, with the, without getting paid. And I, and I knew the problem he was trying to refinance. He had to get to a certain point before the bank would give him money. And I said, I will take you to that point at my risk. And at the end of the day, he couldn't refinance and he owed us a ton of money. So what we did is is we got some advice from a lawyer and, and we worked with him. We got advice from his lawyer and our own lawyer. And we took out a second mortgage on this property. Hmm. Uh, so that we were now earning interest, fairly significant interest on this money that was outstanding rather than it just being bad debt. We're actually getting paid interest monthly. And we ultimately forced a sale of the home and we got all of our money back. And, and we actually had, I think we had a something like a $25,000 line item on our income statement that year for interest earned. Hmm. Wow. It was kind of interesting. It worked out well in the end. We had to get creative, but it was pretty scary for, for a little while there that, you know, we did have, he did have the significant asset and, and I was aware of the liabilities against the assets. So I knew there was a, enough money to cover significantly more than what he owed us. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. When you're dealing with big numbers and other people and yeah, like other, there's yeah, other factors, and, and but you just, uh, you just have to make sure from the time you're a small company that you leave money in the company, leave your retained earnings or as much of it as you can in the company so that you've got cash on hand to handle. I like to think I, I'm comfortable when I have, have 12 months of, 
of overhead sitting in, in cash on the balance sheet, but certainly six six or eight if possible. Then you can weather these storms. You can weather these little problems that happen. And as much as they're painful, you don't go to business. Yeah, it's so true. And my uncles, they were running their building business pre, you know, the crash. You know, they had 24 months operating and they said they needed every dollar to get through, you know, that time and survive. And you know, they were jockeying different they, positions and yeah. They would have, and they were they were obviously smart guys because nobody saw that one coming. And boy, it hit hard and fast. It sure did. Yeah, it's wild. Well, Tom, wrap us up. What does the future look like the next three to five years? You're coming up on 20th year, but I'd imagine you have kind of a vision direction that you guys are trying to head in. What's that look like? Absolutely. I've got a, you know, I'm I'm running out of time. I'm 62 this year. And I want to be, I still have kids that are teenagers, but I want to be not doing this after I'm 70. So I've got an eight-year window as I see it to turn my business, A, earn enough money for retirement. So I have to become bigger, more profitable so that those retained earning numbers numbers grow and that becomes my retirement. I've certainly been working on it for a long time, but we still need some more in the pot. And you know, we've developed this brand and, and we've got some fabulous employees. I'd, I'd love to get my business to the point where I could sell it to my to my employees, do some sort of an employee takeover of the company so that it keeps going. They still have incomes and, and livelihoods. That's my ultimate goal. So, you know, my my big hairy audacious goal, if you will, is, is go from six last year. We're only targeting seven this year because we're having a bit of a transition, but I'd like to be up into the 15 to 20 million range in revenue. I don't actually care about revenue. I'm not driven by revenue. I'm, I'm driven by gross profit and by net profit, but but have something that's that's got some value that that has an organizational chart, a bunch of very strong, interested and interesting staff who can buy the company. That that would be that would be my my goal. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. I love that vision. We'll wrap us up. Any final words of wisdom or parting advice to other remodelers, custom builders out there? Anything you want to leave us with? I'm just going to say that by the time you've been in business for 20 years, and I've got a whole year to go, so I'm good at eight, 19 years, you do become a little bit jaded sometimes. You've had too many crap clients. You've had too many situations go wrong. Bear with it. Enjoy those first 10 or 15 years of owning and running your company because you're not jaded yet. You got a spring in your step. You're loving every minute. You love every sales call. You love every project. And after you get to a certain point, bring some more muscle into the company that can deal with the stuff. I handed off production two or three years ago, so I really don't have a lot to do with production anymore. So those headaches are taken care of by other people. I've still got the sales headaches, which I, I would love to be able to get that off my plate as well. So there is something to be said that that you you do get jaded when you've been doing something for a long time. And other people, you know, when I decided to start this business, I talked to a number of people. And I talked to a few contractors, very successful contractors. And without exception, they said, you're out of your freaking mind to go into the, into the residential construction industry. <laughs> and here we are. So the only other piece of, of advice that I give anybody out there, whether you're starting up or whether you've been in business for a long time, is get some friends in your neighborhood. Join your, your local home builders association, whatever you've got as an organization. Don't be afraid to talk to, to competitors. Don't be afraid to talk to friends. You want to know those guys. They're not your enemies. I have a whole group of contractors that I get together. Next Monday, I'm having, I'm having lunch with, with a couple of my contractor buddies. These are guys we don't necessarily compete. The market's huge in in Toronto. There are three thousand contractors in Toronto, wow. and probably a hundred of them are good. 
yeah. and, and organized and proper businesses. And I want to know those hundred and I want to have lunch with that hundred. And I, and I probably know 20 of them. So I think it's really important that you have friends in the neighborhood. You don't have to be secretive with everybody. It, it, it really is good to do some sharing and, and be friendly and know what's going on. It's only going to help you in the long run. Yeah. Great advice. Well, Tom, thanks so much for carving out the time and sharing your story with us today. My pleasure, Spencer. Happy to do this anytime. I think it's it's great podcasts. I wish I had time to watch more of them, but I don't. But I'm looking forward to continuing and improving our relationship with you guys and 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 starting to see even better results than we've been getting. Cool, cool. No, that's awesome. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you, Spencer. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.